Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Foll and welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by the lovely people at FreeAgent, the online accounting software that puts you in control of your freelancer finances. To claim your one month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash being freelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for motion designer, Deva Moodley. I would work one to two hours almost every night. Finish up work, I'd go to the gym, get a little bit of fitness in, come home, make dinner, and hop straight to my computer and just work. And if it wasn't doing freelance work, it was doing tutorials to figure out how to get better. Money is good, but at the end of the day, if you're not doing anything satisfying with your career, it just doesn't feel fulfilling. It really doesn't. So I needed to do something that would fulfill my creative itch. As much as we want to be all these, you know, solo entrepreneurs and stuff, I don't think it's healthy for people to be alone. You, know, you have to have some community around you. Yeah, so there is Devon, the first guest of season nine. Welcome. I'm sorry, I should have welcomed you in properly, shouldn't I? Yes, season nine of Being Freelance, taking us all the way through right now from September 2019 as I speak to Christmas, to the end of a year, to the end of the decade. <laughs> How did that happen? Uh, I remember when we were all excited because it was 1999 and now suddenly, yeah. Anyway, listen, that's besides the point. Devon is the first guest, but there's going to be plenty more between now and Christmas and make sure that you've hit subscribe. The final one of the year will be episode 200. Right now though, should we crack on? Looking forward to this. Chatting to freelance motion designer Devon Moodley. Hey Devon. Hey, hey, how's it going? I am good. So you're in Amsterdam, but that's not where you're originally from. I was born in South Africa and I lived in South Africa until I was about 13 and then lived in New Zealand for a long time, a very long time. Okay, how about we get started here and how you got started being freelance? Sure. Um, so I originally first started doing motion graphics at a church uh, in New Zealand in Auckland. So I was uh, doing the motion graphics for them. So I find churches these days are very sort of in with the technology and they love being able to sort of do notices or like conference promos or anything that sort of related, but they use a lot of video. So I got hired as the sole motion graphics slash videographer for this church and uh, was doing it for a couple of years. And then someone from the congregation approached me and was like, hey, we love seeing your videos. Like, do you do this for freelance? And that was my first introduction to going freelance. And it was insane. It was absolutely insane. They wanted me to do this crazy 3D video which was totally out of my depth, but I said yes. And uh, that's also how I learned how to do 3D. Wasn't my first freelance. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and then it's just been absolutely nuts ever since then. So so you were actually hired, as in you were employed by the church? Yeah, I was, I know, uh, crazy, crazy thought to think that churches employ people like myself doing creative stuff, but they do. It's a huge industry. It's a massive, massive industry. So suddenly you've got your first freelance client, but you're still employed, presumably, by the church. Yeah. How did it evolve from there? Like, Can you remember the first time you tasted bacon? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, that sounds like such a good line from a film, yeah. by the way. <laughs> so that's kind of what I think it was like. The, it's, it's like the first time you tasted something that you really loved and you really enjoyed. And the first time I started doing work on the sideline, and realized that I, you know, I was actually getting paid for this. I kind of got the bug. It was I was I was smitten by the fact that I could be my own boss and 
do my own thing and uh, you know work with a bunch of clients, but also I'm I'm quite a people person. So the fact that I was doing stuff with new people, uh, you know, in a different organization, meeting a bunch of uh, people from different organizations was just mind blowing to me because uh, it kind of gave me a sense that hey, like you could actually do this. This is something that you could actually do uh, on 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 a full time basis. So yeah, it was insane. I've just realized that my, you know, like, when did you first taste bacon? <laughs> For me, I think it would be, when did you first taste Ben and Jerry's cookie dough? See? Yeah. Like, I, I distinctly remember that experience yeah. when I was, like, 19. And my girlfriend at the time getting this tub and just my life changing. <laughs> that was, but it's, it's, but it's so true, right? Part. It's so true. Because, like, and you, you hold on to that. And then anything else you do yeah. does not come close to that. <laughs> how much work I sort of do, like uh, being full time employed, that that like that voice of freelance kind of calls out to you, like, hey. Although Ben and Jerry's fish food did come a close second, I mean, like that's also amazing. But um, <laughs> I can just eat it from the tub with a spoon as well. I even remember it that. is the only so way to eat it. It is the only way to eat it. If you're one of those people right. that that like portions it out, like you're a psychopath, just eat it by the tub. <laughs> It's already portioned out into a whole tub. <laughs> exactly. One tub per person. You've got to read the fine print. <laughs> so how did you go about finding, other than that first client that found you, how did you go about finding your first clients? And how long did you keep doing it, presumably on the side of that full-time job? So I continued to do freelance for about five or six years on the side while doing full-time work. So I was only at the church for a couple of years. And then uh, applied for a job down in Wellington, which is another part of New Zealand. It's like the, it's kind of like the southernmost city of the North Island. And uh, got, got up working for a company called Zero. And I was there for almost three years. So during my time of working there and being in a new city, I got to meet a bunch of really cool and really awesome people. So Wellington is very creative. There's lots of stuff going on and there's lots of things that involve the arts and so if you take that and you mash it up with like the good part of San Francisco, I think you have Wellington. Um, and so being a bunch of really awesome, really creative people, uh, people were like, hey, do you do you do this freelance? And I'm like, yeah, I, I definitely shoot videos and make motion graphics freelance. And so if you want a job, like, you know, that'll, be, that'll be awesome. And so slowly word of mouth kind of moved around and uh, one client led to the next and another client would lead to another one. There was literally people emailing me saying, Hey, I worked with Steve or I worked with Mike and they said that you're a really fun guy to work with. So we'd love to bring you on board. And I'm like, this is crazy. They haven't even seen my work. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was how at the beginning I managed to get the majority of my, uh, of my freelance clients. It was just people telling other people, telling other people. Amazing. And did you have like a website? So you said they hadn't seen your stuff, but did you, obviously we can, go to you now and go to your website. Did you have something like that at the time? Back then I didn't. Back then was all Vimeo um, videos. I had a Cargo Collective. If people who are my age <laughs> kind of know what Cargo Collective is. Um, I used to have a Cargo site and that was kind of horrible. I used to have a Behance prof um, page portfolio, but that was horrible as well. But yeah, it was all Vimeo. People would be like, hey, you know, what kind of work do you do? And then I'll send them a link to my showreel. So an interesting point here, though, is the fact that you've got, um, first of all, with the church, but then with Zero doing in-house production. So you've got a full-time job. Yeah. How did you fit in the freelance work? How did you cope balancing that? 
I would work one to two hours almost every night after work. As soon as I'd come home, for instance, I'd finish up work, I'd go to the gym, get a little bit of fitness in, come home, make dinner, and hop straight to my computer and just work. And if it wasn't doing freelance work, it was doing tutorials to figure out how to get better. I think I, I realized that I, I got to a stage where clients were sort of demanding more um, out of projects and I just wasn't able to deliver. So I thought to myself, well, the only way I'm going to get better if I'm not learning stuff at work is learning stuff on my own dime. So every single night, man, I would go home, I would research tutorials or figure out stuff or, or see something and try and replicate it just so I could get better. So when a client approached me, I could have better design solutions to sort of give them and not just be like, oh yeah, cool. We'll just do whatever you want, but kind of build that relationship with them and be like, hey, that's cool that you want this, but we can also do this. And uh, that, that was a huge bonus for me. How about the weekend? Uh, the weekend was, was good. I would, <sighs> Wellington is a party city. It is amazing. So I'd always do things on the weekend, which was fine, but I tried to make sure during the week I was kind of focused on on sort of learning stuff and doing things. And this is, sorry, I should say, this, this wasn't my mentality the whole time. Um, when I first started off my job, it was amazing and I was doing a lot of cool things. But once you're in a job for a little bit too long, you start to feel stagnant. And I felt that within about maybe a year and a half in, and I wasn't doing stuff that I was initially sort of hired to do. So just that itch to create more motion graphics became bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I would see things that my peers were creating and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I want to be a part of it. So it, it, was, it was definitely that feeling of, I don't know, I think a little bit of FOMO as well that you're yeah. missing out on being able to create good work. I, I mean, you'd speak to any artist and they'd tell you like, fair enough, money is good. But at the end of the day, if you're not doing anything satisfying with your career, like it just doesn't feel fulfilling. It really doesn't. It really, really doesn't. So I needed to do something that would fulfill my creative itch. And how did you cope with like anticipated timelines of what people were asking for? Given that you're saying, you know, I'm going to work for a couple of hours a night. Mm. So I'm not going to work six. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to go to the gym. I'm still going to party. I'm still going to sleep. Yeah. Did you just set expectations as to how long things might take? Oh my gosh. There was no, there was no balance at the beginning when I first started this off. I was a crazy kid, man. I would do, like, I think the, the longest I've been awake was 76 hours straight. And I don't, please, I don't endorse doing this because it's really dumb and really stupid. But um, I would, you know, go to work, do my eight hours or whatever, go to the gym or go for a walk or whatever, come home, start freelance work. And then sometimes, depending on the client, they might even be Australian clients. So the time zone's a little bit different. They'd be like, hey, can you get this done? as soon as possible. So I'll try and negotiate timelines. They're like, it's actually kind of urgent. So a part of me would be like, well, I could say no, and that'll be that. Or I could say yes and do something stupid and test myself to see if I can actually do it. So there was a lot of risk involved at the beginning when I was doing stuff like this. Um, but I managed to pull it off, which even like, even to this day, I'm just like, wow, that's ridiculous, dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So at what point did you go full-time freelance? So about three years working into zero, maybe two and a half or three years, I was kind of over my job because I wasn't really creating any motion graphics. I was doing a lot of video, and a lot of photography work, which was amazing because it really sort of refined my eye for that kind of thing. And uh, both my wife and I decided like, 
we kind of need a change. And so we've got some really awesome friends uh, who are based here in the Netherlands who at the time were in Wellington and said, hey, listen, we're going to be moving to the Netherlands. And so we said, well, out of a joke, like we kind of follow you guys. We decided to follow them. So prior to actually being in the Netherlands, there was about a year of us being in Australia. And that's when I went like full-time freelance, just working my butt off. I see. So it was that, okay, we, let's, let's do something different with our lives. Let's go live somewhere else. Yeah. And that was the moment when, okay, well, I'll work remotely and be freelance. Yeah, it was, it was getting to the stage where I was getting enough sort of freelance clients where a part of me was like, really, you know, maybe I don't really need my full-time job. But also at the same time, it's like I was getting very restless in my full-time job. So when you know that there's another option for you to do, especially when you're getting restless, it just calls to you even more. So I was like, man, like, okay, if my wife doesn't get a new contract, I'm going to leave this really well-paid <laughs> really well job to do something really stupid and ridiculous. And um, a friend of mine's mom was having a chat to us one weekend when we were sort of discussing this with her. And she's kind of like a bit of a mom to us as well, back when we were living in Wellington. And she said something that really struck a chord to me was you can always make money, but you can't always make memories. And even to this day, whenever I'm assessing anything, I'm like, okay, well, Good. Okay, fair enough. You know, am I going to make money on this? Okay, yeah, whatever. Uh, but am I sacrificing a memory for it? And so at the time, I was like, let me just do something stupid. We'll just do something. Stupid. And I'll look back on this day. And if I fail at it, I can say, yep, I tried it and I failed. And I can always go back to doing another job. And if I don't get a job doing design, I can always go pack shelves. I don't care what I do because you can always make money. But I don't want to look back when I'm 60 and be like, oh my gosh, we could have done something really ridiculous and we didn't do it. Nice, yeah. Um, just to put this in perspective, by the way, when did you? Uh, well, when did you move to the Netherlands, and then everybody else can do the math? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Working yeah. backwards from there. So we moved to the Netherlands about literally three years ago. So we're we're now we're in our fourth year. So in 2016. Yeah. So suddenly, okay. So you're living in a different part of the world, which does actually mean you are living in different time zones to the previous clients that you mm -hmm. had. Did did that make a difference? Massive, massive difference. Um, a lot of my clients would tend to be like, hey, listen, I'm sorry, but the time zones are too rough to sort of work in. So we might need to shift and sort of move to working with other people that's sort of local. And th that was perfectly fine with me. I didn't really mind. Um, but I had some clients that I've worked with for a while that are like, hey, we don't really care about the time zone. We love your work and we love what you do. So if you can help us out, that'll be great. So that's that was a huge bonus. Even moving across, it's so insane. I had a computer. Um, so I'm a Windows guy, but I also use Mac as well. But I had a computer that I built uh, in Wellington. No, I built it in Auckland. I broke it into pieces to Wellington, bought a case, put it together, broke into pieces, moved to Australia, bought a case and a screen and a power supply, put it together, broke it to pieces again, and then moved to the Netherlands, put it together, and then worked. I was literally, I think, when we moved, I was working within a day and a half of moving here because I had, I had projects sort of crossing over. So yeah, it was insane. It was super insane. So crazy. You obviously found the community back in Wellington important. Super. I mean, I know you've, you, you clearly moved over here with friends and your other half, but what about instilling yourself in that new place? I think it was super hard to start off with. Um, because we were only here on a one-year working holiday visa, like the stuff I had to do 
in order for us to sort of stay here longer uh, meant that I needed to go out and I needed to meet people. And I needed to do things that would sort of really get me out of my comfort zone. Uh, the tough thing about being in another country that English is not its first language makes that a little bit more difficult. But I'm so thankful that uh, like Owen and Femme were here because they really sort of set the foundation for us in terms of our friends pool. So they introduced us to a ton of people when we first got in. And that really sort of set the stage for us. Prior to that, um, I had a lot of friends online, but they were based out in the UK. And so finally being in a time zone that I was actually able to chat with them and talk with them, like made so much of a difference uh, to my work. Um, and it's also making more contacts as well. So that was super, super beneficial to me. I see. So other motion designers, perhaps in the UK? Yep, motion designers, illustrators, animators, all these people that I've been following online that, um, you know, I've been absolutely following for years. Like last year, I got to meet Simon Tibbs, who is an amazing animator, him, Fraser Davidson. They all used to have a studio um, back in the day called Sweet Crude, which is now sort of formed into Cub Studio. Oh, wait, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because we had Fraser yeah, Davidson yeah. on the podcast once. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so and so, it kind of blew my mind a bit uh, to know that, you know, I've been following this guy since like 2009 that <laughs> was actually able to share a beer with him. So that like for me, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. Don't don't like fangirl out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's. I, I think it's so important. Like I, I kind of thought to myself and I realized before I moved, I need to sort of make these online friendships as well because it's so easy to travel in Europe. We're bound to sort of cross paths at some stage. Um, so yeah, it was awesome. So you've been here a few years now. So you obviously have managed to find enough work and enough n- new opportunities. How, how have you managed the business side of being freelance? I mean, you worked for Zero, did they? <laughs> did, they did you teach, teach anything there? Or, um, yeah, how, how have you found that side of it? It's been so insane. My role at Zero, uh, because of the role I was in, I was bouncing from all these different departments. And I got to spend a lot of time with the C-levels. Uh, so like the CEO and the chief financial officer, chief marketing officer, all these guys and I, you sort of pull up these little nuggets on how they sort of run business. And it's, it's pretty ruthless. But at the same time, when you realize that, you know, things get exchanged for money, uh, you almost, you, you can be as kind as you want to be, but you also got to be a little bit ruthless. With things. And so I'm finding even now within my, well, sort of coming up into my fourth year, that um, I need to be a little bit more ruthless in the things that I do, especially from the business side. Um, and it's taught me that, you know, like it's, you can definitely be nice and you can definitely be very kind, but at the end of the day, the client sort of really needs to know, Hey, like this is the deadline. This is the schedule that we're sort of adhering to. And, uh, you know, things need to be paid at a certain time. Um, I keep on thinking about if I was to have like staff, for instance, and if, um, clients were paying late, that would just totally throw my stuff sort of upside down. So I try very, very hard to be ruthless but also very kind with my clients when especially when it comes to the business side of things oh i can't can't imagine you being ruthless now see lots of people say that but then (laughs) my wife for instance tells me like if i'm hangry which a lot of people do 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 get uh if if i'm ever hangry she's like you become south african like (laughs) with a like and, and i don't i don't really notice it i don't i don't really notice it but 
she'll tell me and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so true. That's exactly what I do. I, I really become like South African if I'm like hangry or, you know, things are not sort of going the way that I want it to. Um, it's hilarious. I become like a hide situation. It's, it's nuts. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, just because I know that people listen to this who aren't necessarily English speakers, you're saying hangry, right? Yes. In, yeah, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. no, no, no. But it's a lovely phrase, which is a mixture of being hungry and then getting angry because you're hungry. Uh, a very particular type of hangryness. Um, so, <laughs> so actually, from a financial point of view, you, you feel like you've been doing, you've been doing it right. I, I I think I've been doing it right for myself because of the situation that we were in when we moved here. Both my wife and I don't have any ties to the EU, so in order for us to live here, we had to go through this super ridiculously stressful process of getting a visa. And the requirements in order for you just to apply for the visa is just ridiculous so i had to have like a 26 page business plan with market research two-year uh, prognosis of profit and loss as of reference letters of intent um and th- this is as a freelancer like you, know, you don't know when your next job is going to come through or if a client's going to decline on you there was also like a salary target i needed to meet in that first year so it really pushed me to be like dude you're not a freelancer you're a business you have to work like a business you have to work like a business so um, that sort of set my mind in a way that, okay, like I need to get a proper accountant. I need to get an accounting platform that I can use. I need to send like proper invoices. I need to track everything. But having a good accountant, man, saves you a massive headache. But I'm a weird one, uh, Steve. Like I'm in this weird place where I have to have all these things. I'm actually going through a visa process again in order for us to be here for the next five years. And so again, they've requested like profit and loss statements. They've requested summary of earnings, all these crazy things. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been kind of forced to be onto it. Whereas I think if I, if I wasn't forced, I don't think I'd be as business minded as I am right now. How interesting the, the way that made you focus on that. I mean, you did mention at one point there, you know, like if you were to hire staff and the, you know, the cost implications of cash flow and, and stuff. Is it something that you've considered? It's definitely something I've, I've, I've tried to put into practice uh, and sort of, sort of try to think about this. It's hard at the moment because I find, and I, I'm not too sure whether this is with other people as well, but a lot of people I've spoken to uh, in the last six months have said budgets are just getting smaller and smaller. And I think that's because of Brexit in some weird form or way. Um, but if it, if it wasn't, man, I just want to find the right project where I can sort of bring people on board and sort of pay them what they deserve because it's, you know, being, I guess, a freelancer and, and, you know, demanding a good pay, it'll be really terrible of me to sort of get someone in, you know, and then not pay them what they're worth, uh, just to sort of make a buck. So it's definitely something I've been trying to look into, um, for the future. If we get this new visa, um, which will allow us to stay here for the next five years. It's something that I want to look into, either starting like a small sort of studio or working with someone to try and make a studio. I find I'm at that stage where I'm too small to get big clients. And I'm also like sort of too small to sort of bring anybody on board just as yet. Um, so it makes it kind of difficult. Mm. But your work is still mainly coming like word of mouth. 100%. It's still been word of mouth. I've been so lucky. So it's only been in the last two months that I've actually started to advertise myself and sort of put myself out there a little bit more. And um, like prior to that, 
seriously, Steve, I have not mentioned like, hey, you know, it's me. I'm looking for work. I've been so blessed and so thankful that I've got a really good network of friends around me that either have jobs that they can't do, so they pass it along or recommend me or um, someone who I've worked with, even clients, for instance, will say, hey, listen, you got to work with this guy. And that's been a massive saving grace for me. That's awesome. It's testament, obviously, to your work, but also the way people work with you and the vibe you, you, you must give off to them. What are you doing different then in the past two months? You say you're advertising. Is, is that as in paid advertising or just putting more effort into put, putting yourself out there? What are you doing? No, I haven't I haven't delved into the realm of paid advertising yet. I'm not too hot on those heels right now, but I've done a lot of, uh, for instance, cold call emails, which I know a lot of people are like, don't do that. It's the worst thing you could ever do. Um, but... I've actually gotten a lot of work out of it. So um, that perspective, you know, you have to try things. And so I'm trying different approaches like cold call email. So uh, Instagram has become notoriously amazing on how they sort of advertise stuff to you. And so they always advertise these agencies and studios to me. So I just flick them an email and be like, hey, I've seen your advert and want to know if you guys ever work with motion graphics designers. And if you do, I'd love to be a part of a project. Or if not, I'd love to just grab a coffee. And so I find not just asking straight at the bat, but trying to build a relationship is a little bit better than just being like, hey, I want to work for you guys. And that's been awesome. I've had a, a few freelance jobs in the last month that have come from just me cold calling, uh, cold emailing, I should say. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been crazy. What does like your work-life balance like now? There was clearly this point where you were working full-time and then working in the evenings or learning mm. in the evenings. How about now? I think I'm still trying <laughs> I'm still trying to find that sort of balance because I I'm I don't know. I, I, I come from like an immigrant family. So my family moved to New Zealand with basically nothing from South Africa. And so I've always got this sort of guilty conscience that if I'm not working, I'm not advancing, which is a really stupid outlook, but at the same time it's kind of pushed me to sort of achieve things. Um, and so now like my wife continually tells me like, Hey, like, you know, you need to make sure you get out of the house today and get some sun. I'm like, okay, I will. So I, I need to be reminded. I'm so thankful for my wife. because She's such uh, an amazing person that really sort of grounds me. She's my balance. If, if anything, she's the person that sort of really bring, brings sort of balance. She's the one that tells me, like, Hey, like, you know, you shouldn't be working too hard or you should be doing things better. And um, I think, yeah, I, I haven't, particularly found that balance yet i do work sporadically so i've been getting up at 6 30 every morning i do some dutch lessons and then i hop straight into work and sometimes i'll do you know eight hours sometimes i'll do 10 sometimes i do 12 it really depends sometimes you get into a flow like a like a, a state and then you just it's really hard to get out of it uh but what i've found to sort of help that balance is actually like structuring in gym time so straight after this I'm off to the gym because it's Wednesday and I go to the gym on Wednesdays, Mondays, and Fridays. And uh, Wednesday mornings, I have a coffee group that I catch up with. It's sort of, is a bunch of freelancers and we talk about, you know, random stuff, which is amazing. Um, so I, I started to factor in social aspects, sort of get me away from my desk because if I didn't have that, I would be chained to this thing for a very long time, which is not healthy, by the way. <sighs> That sounds good. What's the what was it? A coffee morning of what other freelancers in in Amsterdam? 
Yeah, so there's a good buddy of mine, um, Alex Frangimore, which is, uh, he's a UX designer here based in Amsterdam. He's from the UK as well. Amazing guy, really, really amazing dude. And um, we get together with a bunch of freelancers. It actually started off as just me and him grabbing coffee on a Wednesday afternoon. Because it's like Wednesday afternoon, three o'clock, you're not doing any work. I mean, it's the middle of the week. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so we would literally just go grab coffee. He lives like six minutes away from my house. So we just go up to the local cafe and get a coffee. And then we started getting more people involved. And then we started putting it on Wednesday mornings because uh, we, we tested it and trialed it and realized that the feeling you get from being around other creatives so early in the morning really drives you and makes you feel inspired to go and create stuff. And so it's been amazing to have that on a Wednesday morning for me to like hop in there, speak to some other freelancers, laugh, joke about stuff. It doesn't even have to be about work. We just talk about random stuff. And it's just sort of coming home and being like, awesome, cool. Like my mind is right now. I can start working. I can kick this out of the park. That's so nice. Yeah, I, I, I recommend it to anybody. If anybody is a freelancer, if you're a solo freelancer working on your own, get a couple of freelancers together, spend an hour, grab a coffee. It's, the, it's literally the best thing I think you can do for yourself. Um, people shouldn't be working alone. You know, as, as, as much as we want to be all these, you know, solo entrepreneurs and stuff, I don't think it's healthy for people to be alone. You got to be, you know, you have to have some community around you. Hmm. You mentioned, uh, I think a couple of times about feeling stagnant in a mm. job when, mm. when you were working full time. How, how do you keep yourself from getting that way now that you're your own boss? I think now I sort of choose projects kind of carefully. I check what income I need to make for the month. And then kind of figure out, okay, if there's a project coming up um, and if I've structured properly, am I going to find fulfillment out of this? Perfect. If not, then I'll do the work because I need to make that income for the month. But then I'll do side projects um, to sort of you know, scratch that itch a little bit more. And that's been awesome for me. I haven't been doing as many as I've wanted to over the last few while because of this visa situation and stuff I got to do for that. Uh, but I feel like having that, has been super helpful. What kind of thing are your side projects? So, man, this is, this is, this is like a whole other kettle of fish. So I, I do this thing where I reach out to illustrators. And because I don't think I'm at that stage where I can just illustrate stuff for myself, uh, stuff that I, I, I want to animate for myself, I will reach out to illustrators that I love their work and be like, hey, I really love your work. Um, would you be keen for a collaboration and uh, can I animate your stuff? And some of them are really open and like, yeah, awesome. Some of them just never get back to me. Uh, but the ones who have gotten back to me, um, there's just been phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Um, one of the guys I work with, I have worked with before is Mark Conlon. He's an amazing illustrator um, based out in Australia. And I've done some really cool work with him, uh, but all collaborations, n nothing paid. Um, and that's been really cool because it's sort of challenging me to sort of think in a different sort of box, especially when it's different illustrators with different styles. It kind of makes you go, okay, how are you going to make this work? How is this going to animate? And it kind of stretches my mind a little bit more. Whereas I find with paid projects, depending on what the timeline is, there's only one solution that might work or one solution that might be sort of like perfect for this project. So this doesn't really allow you enough time to sort of like experiment with things. Whereas with collaborations, it's like there's no money involved. So, you know, it can take time and you can play and have fun. 
That's brilliant. And then that goes in your portfolio, gives you stuff to share on, I know, your various social stuff as well. Yeah, so a majority of the stuff that's on Instagram, for instance, right now, uh, is all just fun collaboration stuff that, you know, I love. I love how illustrators work. It's mind-blowing, like some of these, how, how someone can sort of capture an image and just sort of turn it into this beautiful illustration. And uh, yeah, that, that's been, it's just, it's just been so cool to be able to see something that's been static and then sort of come to life. And also the expression from some of these illustrators that, you know, their minds are blown because some of them have never ever thought they could see stuff like that. You know, their illustrations move. So it's, it's fun. It's really, really fun for me. Do you do any other side projects beyond um, motion design? Uh, yeah, I, I, I like to shoot videos. Um, and that's been quite, quite fun for me. So I, whenever I sort of go and travel to a new place, I try to make a little video off the place and what we've sort of been getting up to. So my wife and I, we love photography. We love shooting videos. And uh, that's a really cool side project. I find that as I'm getting older, my memory is not as sharp as it used to be. I mean, I'm only 33, but still you're bombarded with so much stuff that your mind you know, doesn't, it's, it's not as good as retaining information. So I try and shoot as much video as I can and make these little sort of fun little videos of like us in Bruges or us in Paris. And it's kind of nice to look back on that and go, oh my gosh, yeah, we did that. Or we had croissants up by the waterfall here. Or Yeah, it's super cool. Now I want a croissant by, uh, preferably by a waterfall. Yeah. But oh, sorry, not, so, not a waterfall. I mean, um, like a water feature. Oh, a fountain. Fountain. <laughs> Don't the word for it. <laughs> the good thing is, it's probably easier for me to find a fountain than a waterfall. I would say so. I don't think there's any waterfalls in Paris, so uh, you might want to scrap that one. <laughs> now, I always do this thing yes. where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie, yes. and let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me, Devin? Okay, my three facts. So the first one is, um, in a past life, I used to be a wedding singer. That's one. Right. Yep. Uh, number two is uh, in South African schools, uh, we have like these survival classes that sort of teach you like what you have to do if you get attacked by like a lion or anything like that. Because I used to live in rural South Africa, so it's kind of dangerous, but you know, everyone sort of goes to that kind of stuff. And then number three is uh, my family at one time had 10 pets. <laughs> Okay. These are good. Um, so you were a wedding singer. What, what, were you like with a band or were you with no. uh, just, just, just you and a tape deck kind of, just, you know, like a, just, just by myself, uh, a acoustic guitar in hand. Sometimes I'd have someone, you know, help me with other instruments. Uh -huh. um, and yeah, I would uh, play while either people are walking down the aisle or play at ceremonies or play, um, uh, like at receptions and stuff. It was, yeah. It was, yeah, it was great. It was lots of fun. What were like the most popular songs that people would ask for? Oh, it's crazy because every single wedding was different. Um, I did some Michael Bublé once. Uh, I did some Lighthouse uh, once. I did some songs by Brooke Fraser, which is a New Zealand artist. Uh, I've done a song called Heads by MGMT once. Oh my God. I even, I even, I even did um, "Grow Old with You" by Adam Sandler once, which was like super cool because that's like you know he is the wedding singer. And you went to lion. So, what's the best way to defend myself from a lion? Oh, okay. So there's two things you got to remember when you're either being chased or potentially being attacked by a lion. The first one is to turn around and run. 
You have to run. You have hang on, to. hang on. Just in case it cuts out for anyone, should we run away or shouldn't we? You should run away. You should. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I felt like that was a key point. <laughs> <laughs> no, you should. You should one hundred percent run away. That is like super ridiculously important. That's why you'll find like in South Africa, like track and field is super important. Like you got to get your fitness level up. You get if you get encountered by like any sort of wild animal, the best thing for you to do is to run away. Like that's just. It's, it's, it's like the, the first thing you sort of get taught. But then like the other classes you get taught as well, it's like what would happen if you were to get attacked, get bitten, like first aid stuff. Like a lot of the time lions, what they'll tend to do if you notice a cat, they'll sort of jump on something and try and go for the back of your neck. And that's super dangerous. And so it's like trying to sort of learn these methods on how to fend yourself off so you can actually put your forearm in front of you or even like move around so that line sort of gets your forearm first and not necessarily your neck. I mean, you can sort of move along without a forearm, but if okay, someone yeah. sort of like, I mean, yeah. you know what cats do to toys or anything, right? They'll grab it and they'll like sort of move it from left to right, sort of twist it around. What a lion could do is sort of grab the back of your neck and almost snap the back of your neck. So be careful out there when you're roaming through the uh, wild plains of Africa. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm now thinking I'm going to invest in one of those. You know, in like 18th century uh, world, they used to have milkmaids walking along with a big wooden post across the back of their necks. Okay. With two buckets on either side. Oh, yes, side. yes, 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 yes. I'm thinking that, I mean, I've never heard of a milkmaid from the 18th century being attacked by a lion. Maybe that was why. <laughs> Protecting their neck. That sounds like a, maybe I need one of them. Okay. And 10 pets. What pets did you have? Ooh, uh, three dogs. One cat, two turkeys, four Siamese fighting fish, and six hamsters. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's 16. That's not 10. This is, this is, this is why I animate things, because I can't math. What were the names of your fighting fish? Oh, man. I can't remember. That was so many years ago. Hmm. That was so many years ago. Okay. Now, all right. <laughs> now, I don't know. I mean, these all sound plausible. Yeah. Um, I mean, you knew a lot of stuff about the lions. I can't decide whether you've thrown it in there because you think that me, based in the UK, thinks that's just what South Africa is like. Um, it's you know, it's like when we have a guest on from Canada talking about a moose. It's a similar kind of. Let me throw a lion story in there. Wedding singer. Um, uh, weddings. I mean, again, that's plausible. If people thought you had a lovely voice and a guitar, could you sing at my wedding? Suddenly, you're singing at quite a few. I, and you put it. I mean, Buble was a good. That was your first response. I thought, yeah, a bit of Buble would come in. Ten pets or sixteen pets, as it turned into. I mean, the very fact that you got the maths wrong on this yeah. suggests that that's probably correct. <laughs> so I don't think you were a wedding singer. Ooh, wrong. I was. <sighs> <laughs> you never had 16 pets no i had 16 pets oh jeez <laughs> i'm really surprised you you bought the whole lion thing i'm really really surprised oh, that was awesome that was so I, good i feel like such an englishman no listen listen for listen. the record yeah. though right what you said about protecting myself from a lion, would that be true? Because I was making notes, and if I get ruled <laughs> by a lion now Please don't and survive, I'm coming for you. Okay, so, so it's not 
Uh, oh my gosh. Are you telling me I shouldn't run away from a no, lion? No, I actually, to be honest with you, I actually don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is something that I, I should have researched just so that I could actually like fully go with the lie, but I no, don't know. You, like, I mean, you totally sold me on Lions are fast. I'm glad I asked whether it was true because now I know that maybe I shouldn't run away from a lion dressed as a milkmaid. So Yeah, but please, please don't. I mean, I'm sure Herods don't sell wild exotic animals like they used to back in the day. So I don't think you'll have that issue anytime soon. Flipping out. Right. <laughs> um, now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Um... Don't take life too seriously. Really don't. I think you'll, you'll have all these weird encounters and you're going to miss out a lot on life if you take it too seriously. Just enjoy it. Go to beingfreelance.com. There are links through to what all of our guests are up to, of course. You can find Devon online on Twitter or Instagram, but also take a look at his website. Very nice website with a very hypnotic animated sort of image of your name. I guess I love that branding. It's in your... In your you. um. Email signature as well, isn't it? Like yes. this little animation. Yes, it is. So yep. subtle. Um, <laughs> I almost feel like you could market it as some sort of meditative thing. If you're ever feeling stressed, just go and stare at Devon's website for a little bit. Just to <laughs> see his little name bouncing up and down. You're too kind, Steve. So links through to that. While you're at beingfreelance.com, don't forget there's a link through to the community as well so you can come and chat to other freelancers from around the world. That's um, beingfreelance.com. If you're a freelance parent or feel like you might be one day soon, then don't forget to check out the other podcast, Doing It For The Kids. It's what I do with Frankie from the Doing It For The Kids community. We take questions and answers. Well, we take questions. We try and give the answers. But in the Doing It For The Kids podcast, it's only about 20 minutes. It's much shorter than this one. So yeah, give it a try. Search for doing it for the kids and you will find that too. But if you can do me a solid favor, either give this a review or even better, share it with somebody. Maybe if you've done that thing where you're now going to be going for coffee on a Wednesday morning with some other freelancers, tell them where you got the idea from Devon when he was interviewed on the Being Freelance podcast so more people get to know about it. But for Devon, for now, thank you so much and all the best being freelance. Excellent. Thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. You guys have a great day out there.